I'm Jen Drummond. Welcome to my podcast, Take a Break. As a mom of seven, a business owner, and an individual trying to be the first female to climb the seven second summits, I often need to remember to take a break. Take a Break is about enhancing and preserving the greatest asset you have, you. Listen in as I share personal stories and interview others to help you get the most out of this one amazing life. So today on the podcast, I have my friend James Patrick, who is a media specialist and photographer. I've personally worked with him. I love all the things that he's done for me. And so I thought, hey, I'd be a little selfish not sharing them with the world. So today we talk about earned media, defining your brand, getting out there, an event that he hosts to help you do these things. So listen in and take some notes. Hey, friends, I have my friend James Patrick here today. So James, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure photographer slash media specialist. I've actually hired you to help me with some of my stuff. Tell us a little bit about your history, because I think that's very important to your progress to where you are today. So 20 years into 30 seconds would be, I was a journalist turned into a photojournalist, turned into a magazine photographer. And over the process of working on the other side of it, working as a magazine editor, as a photo editor for magazines, I really got to have to learn and understand what images work, what images do not work, why they work. So when I launched my own photography career outside of working on staff, that's what I really leaned into was I don't just want to take photos. I want to make images that work. And making images that work means understanding the client, understanding what their needs are, understanding what creative or what collateral is going to help them achieve whatever that goal is. The media side came in, you know, helping people with, with the value of earned media because over 20 years, earned media is how I built my entire career, whether it's raising awareness, validation, and enhancing credibility and authority, as well as generating new leads. So I just took what I was doing for myself and then tried to teach those same systems or those same processes to my clients. Yes. And I think you do, right? I think it's fun learning all these. You're very much an open book and willing to share anything that you know. One of the things that introduced me to you was how to take a photo that doesn't suck. So talk to me about like that concept, that branding, that like piece and what that's done for you and your brand. So when we think about content creation, uh, you know, whether it's this podcast or creating content for your Instagram or YouTube, a lot of people get dismayed and frustrated. And it's easy to understand why they get frustrated. They try some things out. It doesn't get the response they're hoping for. It seems their engagement is always going down. It seems like the algorithm's out to suppress them or they're being shadow banned or whatever it is. There's always something that seems to be preventing our content from getting in front of the people we need our content to get in front of. And the reality is, as, as difficult as this is, to swallow, the algorithm does not care about you. It's not spending time to suppress you. It's not spending time to, to do anything other than one thing, which is respond to user behavior. That's it. Responding to user behavior. The goal of any platform is to keep people on the platform. So if audience members, we, are signaling that we want certain types of content and we're spending more time with certain types of content, that's the content that gets elevated. 
if we are signaling that, you know what, we're kind of over whatever this other thing is. And think of all the themes or trends that we've gone through over the last three years alone that we're done with, that we're tired of. Well, the algorithm is not going to show people this type of content anymore because people are saying we're done with it. We're not spending time. We keep scrolling. So add that to there have never been more content creators in the marketplace ever. So the competition is really hot right now. So it becomes harder to stand out. So what does this mean? This means you have to have a sense of what your audience needs that you alone can deliver. And on social media, you have one of three responsibilities or a combination of three. Number one is you could entertain your audience. Not required, but for some people, it's just part of, part of the brand. Number two is you can educate them. This is the one I lean into the most is I use my platform as a resource for education. And then number three is inspiration. You use your platform to light up, to inspire, and to equip and empower your audience or some combination of those three. You don't just have to give people a reason to follow you. You have to give people a reason to actually care about the content you're putting out. Because guess what? If you're not putting the time into creating content that entertains, inspires, or educates them, someone else is. And that's the content they're going to gravitate towards. So we've been testing content. I've been on Instagram for 10 years created. We actually were pulling the numbers, like over 5,000 pieces of Instagram content. I've done over 700 podcasts. I've done over 500 blog articles. What else did we pull? Something like 1,000 Facebook posts. The point is, we've done a lot of content. Now, the goal of what we do has never shifted. Entertain, inspire, or educate. That's never changed. How we do it absolutely has changed over 15, 20 years. Like 10 years ago, people really wanted to read my blog. No one's reading my blog anymore. It's just not not the thing, right? So I'm still Mm -hmm. creating content like I was 10 years ago, except I'm creating different content now. So now my podcast, like much like your podcast, podcast listeners is record time high. My YouTube channel has been growing. Why? More people are watching YouTube on their smart TV. So people want long-form content on YouTube. So to, to get back to your question, I know I, I know I took I went around the world to get there. Yeah. Um, That's good. The idea of this series we made, How to Take a Photo That Doesn't Suck, for five years, I've been building content around teaching how to take photos, showing the behind the scenes of photos, kind of revealing the process, how we create what we create. And it worked. It was fine. It was educating. It was entertaining. And maybe it was inspiring people. It hadn't hit yet, though. Mm -hmm. It was just working. And then we came up with this series kind of on the fly. Like we went to film once again, another tutorial video. And I was feeling somewhat cantankerous that day. And so when the camera got turned on, I just made a joke and said, well, I'm just going to show you how to take a photo that doesn't suck. And after I said it, I laughed at myself. I'm like, that's a really jackass thing to that's say. It. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to roll with it. And it worked. Okay. Yeah. So now we have to respond to consumer behavior. When we as consumers find something we like, what do we do? We want more of it. When mm-hmm. we see a piece of content on someone's channel that we like, what do we do? We go to their channel or their account or their page or their profile. And we want to find additional content that reinforces the exact same thing we saw. And if we don't, we bounce. We're out. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. turned it into a series. And we created, and I think we have like 
uh, you know, 20 of them or something like that. So now whenever I release a new one, it does well compared to other reels we do. And also all the other ones in that series get a boost in engagement and get a boost in views. We're treating it like it's a, like it's a Netflix show. We created yeah. a bingeable piece of content. So now we're going to start testing and we have been testing other pieces of content to see how are people responding to it. Can we turn this into a series? Something that people can, once they find one piece, they want to engage with the rest. So that is kind of like a 30,000 foot view of why we create content and the role the content plays within the nurturing of our audience. Yeah, no, and I love it. And like one of the key things I think in that piece is you talk about how you you met the person at their pain point, right? You kind of made fun of it. Like, no one wants to take a photo that sucks. Okay, yeah, like how do I learn? Like having another tutorial on how to do your picture is just the boring, same old fabric that everybody else uses. Mm -hmm. But when all of a sudden you say like how to take a photo that doesn't suck, okay, yeah, let me check on that real quick. Maybe I can learn like one quick little tip. Like it gives you so much information just in the title to know like, hey, what you're getting, what's coming, what to expect, that I think that's a huge component into why that series is so successful. And watching you film one of those was fun because you're you're sitting there saying, okay, here's my lighting number. Here's what my camera's set. Here's where the sun is. Here's where the subject is. And you give all the details so that if someone watched a handful of these, they're going to be a better photographer. Mm -hmm. I mean, bottom line. So I loved that. It's not... Nothing we create is, you know, in, in a vacuum in the sense that, you know, we learned everything ourselves or we created everything. Like I always, I always get a little miffed when a photographer's like, I invented this lighting sound. Like, did you? Did you? <laughs> yeah. Because I don't know, it's been around for like a couple hundred years, but sure, you, it's your style. Everything I've learned has been through, through others. Whether indirectly or, or directly, like I've, I've had mentors where I've interned for photographers and assisted photographers. And I learned their process and their methodology and, and their systems and their ethos. And then I've read books and I've read blogs and I've read or I've watched YouTube videos or listened to podcasts. Like we are constantly consuming all this information. So I don't really buy into this idea that it has to stop with us. We just we're a conduit. We take it in and then we push it on to the people who need it next. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I like how you have a variety of resources that you're pulling ideas from. Then you have your own little filter that allows you to like spin your spin on it and then put it out there. Because for a while for me, I'm like, oh, I don't want to add noise to the environment. I don't want to add noise to the environment. That was an excuse that I was using because I didn't want to post something that wasn't going to be awesome every single time. Right. And I caught myself with that. And I said, you know what? Everything I say, we have to hear it so many times for it to resonate. And sometimes, my voice, that moment, that time, that's what helped the person. And so be it, right? There we go. Part of the process. So this, I mean, it brings up this idea of being an imposter. And I, I went off on this a couple of years ago. I actually made myself a shirt that said imposter and I would wear it around. And the intention was that, listen, when I picked up a camera, the world did not need another photographer just didn't. But yet I was still able to build a career where I've shot close to 700 magazine covers and built a very, very fulfilled life for myself. The world did not need another book on shelves when I became an author, but I've written a handful of books, several of which became bestsellers. The world didn't need another podcast when I started recording podcasts, but yet I was able to create something that we've charted in you know a couple dozen countries. The point is not to 
gloat on successes. The point is that in every one of these things, I was an imposter. I was just Mm -hmm. figuring it out as I'm doing it. So instead of looking at imposter syndrome as this barrier to entry, look at it as a badge of honor. This is what we do. I'm an imposter and I'm figuring it out. It's just a reframe of what it means. And also you brought something up like, I don't want to add noise into the, into the world. There's so much noise. People are so distracted. And there's so much crap out there. I just don't want to create more crap. And while I agree, don't create crap. At the same time, when I go back and look at my early photos, they were crap. When I listen yeah. to my early yeah. podcasts, they were crap. Uh, but we do not ever improve upon our crap until we put it out there. We don't know what's crap and what's not because in our mind, it's totally biased because we never get feedback. We don't get feedback until we put it out into the marketplace and then our audience tells us, this is crap or this could be improved. And if you're putting out something where you have put intention behind it, where once again, it's hitting those those three pillars your audience is going to overlook a lot of what you are worried about, whether it's, oh, I don't have the perfect lighting setup or, you know, my camera's not right or, you know, that my microphone, I'm, I'm using a $100 microphone, not a $300 microphone. No one cares. Just yeah. give them what they want and they'll overlook everything else. No, I agree. And just you learn in repetition, right? Like it's, and it's, I mean, I'm saying this as I'm in the middle of learning a whole bunch of things. So I know that awkward, uncomfortable feeling. But if you focus on one little thing, just one little thing to do better the next time, like over the course of a year, you're a lot better in a lot of little things. And mm-hmm. it's just fun to witness. I mean, I even look at some of my first podcasts. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> Jennifer. But we're getting there, right? And I know like in 10 years from now, I'm going to be seeing the same thing about this one. And I'm just like trying to enjoy the journey of it and let the process unfold as it does. I think about when we were first podcasting, Zoom didn't exist. Where you know we're recording on Riverside, or you know I use Streamyard. These did not exist. Uh, so in order to interview someone, we had to go to them. Like for example, I would drive from Arizona to Los Angeles to do an interview because oh wow, but how else am I going to get this interview? I don't I don't know how to record over the phone. So we do that, and we did not know how to use our microphones, and you know for. I'll make this super easy for anyone that's not tech. You can't run two USB microphones into a computer at the same time. The reason being every microphone port or every USB port in a computer basically records at a different power, different speed. So it sounds bad. So we have this (laughs) major interview lined up and we are at the LA Fit Expo. So we, we basically, they put us in this giant conference hall, this empty conference hall. So echo up the wazoo. Sounds terrible. Worst audio quality you can have. And one of the microphones just flat out is not working. Now, we're we're traveling to do this show and we have to pull the person's audio. No joke. We're sitting at this conference table. We had to pull the guest audio from our microphone across the table. So we had to go in and edit this podcast. So when we would ask the question, we'd have a normal audio level. Second, we finished asking the question, we had a bump the audio because we had to pick up their audio from across the table. It sounded God awful. It was terrible. And it was one of our top downloaded podcasts. What? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's not, so, it, once again, it's not, it's not like right. I'm not encouraging you to create crap. The point is, is that right, right, people wanted right. to hear this interview with this guest. They overlooked the crap because they wanted the content. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you build content, are you building weeks at a time in advance? Are you doing, how are you, what's your calendar look like of, so it's not such a slave to the day mm. of what's required? I, I kind of vacillate on that. And I go back and forth. Like when we have a marketing campaign, like we're in a launch sequence right now with one of our businesses, all that content has been created for months. It's just, we just just spent a couple of days, we recorded it all, had it edited, had it processed. So the only thing we have to do now is distribute posting, you know, and sharing the content. So I will work in batches like that to to Mm -hmm. not feel stressed and behind. Now, on my main feed, my main channel, content that's not in a launch platform and not in a sales platform, I like to create as I am inspired to create. So, you know, the the post I put out today, I made it last night because it was what was lighting me up last night. And what I put out tomorrow, I'll probably make tomorrow. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having some flexibility. And if I don't think of anything to post, I'm just not going to post anything. And that's okay, too. Okay. And do you operate the same way on all the different channels? Because the different channels have different personalities. That's a really good question. So that answer I would apply exclusively to social media. So Instagram and and Facebook. Okay. When it comes to my podcast, mm-hmm. there are three episodes a week, three episodes a week, three episodes a week. That's just there are three. three ep- are week. you interviewing people three times a week? Mm-mm. No, I do one interview no. a week. Okay, And then we do a live broadcast and we do a solo cast. So those are the three episodes every week. And it's just, that's it. Those are the three episodes. So if I'm sick, we have to figure out something else, whether we're rebroadcasting an old episode or playing a best of, or I just, you know, struggle through and let my voice push through. Sound as it is. You know, or we have to, you know, oh, you know, we don't want to air this guest interview this week because it'd be better to air it next week. So I'll just do two solo casts this week. So consistency in that is, I feel, extremely important because okay. if we ever had something where we weren't there, I feel like, especially with the podcast audience, it's easy to lose your audience. Okay. What, because once again, competition is growing so much. So staying in front of your audience with fresh content, I, I think, is, is very important. Our live broadcast, we do every week. So it's just every week we do a live broadcast. I think... This year, we've skipped one week and it was because I was on vacation. So that was the one week I skipped the entire year. So there are certain things I, I'm going to be a little bit more stringent on based off what I feel the audience would expect from it. So like our live shows and our podcasts, I feel there's an expectation of consistency. So I'm going to deliver on that expectation. But social media, I feel, is a little bit more timeless and a little bit Mm -hmm. more at the whim of our inspiration. And I'm okay with that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So you help people get published Mm -hmm. for their brand. And you sit down with them, you talk about their brand goals and objectives, and then you start thinking through, okay, what would line up with them? And these are kind of photos that we need. And here's photos that they may need based on the content that they're doing. And you bridge those two worlds together, I think, quite well. Otherwise, I wouldn't be working with you. What would you give advice to somebody who is like on that verge of like, do I start working on getting that wider print media or that cover magazine piece? And how does that work? The answer is yes, whether you know what to do with it or not, because you can always leverage it later, which is really nice. Like, it's not like, building your audience. 
has ever been a negative thing for someone. It's not like someone's like, I don't want more true fans or I don't want more prospective clients. I, I just, I need to, I need to not be seen that, that I've not heard. So starting with goals, why are we doing this? And really, you can really sum this up in one of three buckets. Number one, some people do it just because it's fun. And that's okay. You know, it's, they just want, like I had a client recently who all she wants it is just to have it, has no marketing idea behind it, has no funnel that she wants to integrate it into. She just loves to do it, loves to see herself in magazines. Fine. That's okay. So vanity. Number two is authority amplification. So if I were to say that I've been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, that carries with it weight. That carries with it a verification, a validation, a clout. And then the third is lead generation, where the media outlet feature itself helped bring new leads into my ecosystem. Now, it's important to distinguish those last two because they sound a little similar. So here's, a, here's an example. You know, actually, you'd be, you'd be more of a harder example because your brand is more <laughs> ubiquitous and I feel like it crosses so many different right. genres. So let's take a personal trainer, someone who's exclusively okay. selling personal training services and they land a feature in, I'll say, Women's Health Magazine. Would that amplify their authority? You betcha. To be able to say, I've been featured in Women's Health Magazine, that carries with it a lot of marketing clout. People are going to say that mm -hmm. like, okay, she must know what she's talking about enough for women's health to publish her. All right. So that's, yep. it can build some trust. It can build some rapport. Now, let's say this person only offers in-person training services. How many people in her city who see that feature are looking for a personal trainer at that moment? Right. That number goes down a lot. Yep. So... Great for authority. I'm not saying you're not going to get business out of a feature like that, but it's not going to be huge compared to, let's say she was on an interview on her local morning news channel, like let's say the NBC affiliate in whatever town she's in, and they interviewed her on something very topical or important that people need to know right now in regards to their health and wellness. That would be massively generation. Massive. We've had people yeah. who've landed local media features who have 2x their business leads off a single wow. feature. So knowing your goals will help you begin to target where are you going to put your efforts. Now, for a lot who are looking to either brand build or develop uh, business leads, it's going to be a blend of those two things. They're going to target some publications simply for the authority and the marketing assets to be able to use that collateral of, I've been featured in Fitness Magazine, or I've been featured in Inside Fitness, or I've been featured in Oxygen or Shape or whatever it may be. As well as adding in, oh, here are outlets I landed that come with a lot of potential lead generation. Maybe it's podcasts. You know, we're, we're talking about magazines, but earned media crosses. You have digital features, you have podcast features, you have speaking engagements. I would call earned media. Being a guest on someone's YouTube channel is an earned media. Giving a private presentation in someone else's closed Facebook group is an earned media platform. Earned media simply is you are earning the right to be in front of an audience. So you're not paying for that. You've earned that right. So that's what we talk about when we talk about earned media. Okay. No, that's helpful. And when someone is looking to gain earned media, 
how do they find a you? Like, what are they searching for? A me or we got finding referred, the outlets? Like, I mean, you, I mean, I found you from a friend, from a, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of thing, right? I don't know if I would have known, like, hey, this is an opportunity, like I should be pursuing yeah. if I didn't bump into you the way that I did. So like, say I'm X, Y, or Z company and I, or person, and I'm trying to build up my authority or my like mm-hmm. clout in an area. What are, what are they like? What are they looking for to do that? So it's funny because when you and I were talking about this yesterday on set, yes. I said, anything I say is going to be completely biased and I want to be transparent about that. Uh, so take it with like a dump truck full of salt. <laughs> but I'll give the overview. So earned media can be achieved in a couple of different ways. Number one, you can do it yourself. Yeah. Number two, you can hire a publicist to assist in the acquisition of media features. My role is not really formed yet. It doesn't, this has not been in existence, which is more of just a media specialist. I'm not a publicist. I don't work for people as a publicist, but yet I help people earn media features, whether I'm teaching them how to do it or I'm working in concert with them to create the visual assets that we're using to help them get published. So I, I'm kind of like an anti publisher in a sense mm-hmm. because. I'm creating workarounds where we're not going through publishers. And the reason, and it's not that I dislike publishers, but I've worked with publishers or when I are publicists, I should say publicists, not publishers or PR reps. There comes with it a very heavy retainer. Let's just say right. for, for most entrepreneurs, I mean, you're looking somewhere between 3,500 and 5,500 a month right. for a, a decent publicist. And it can go up from there. And there's no, there's no guarantee that mm-hmm. any media features are going to come out of, out of that, that contract with that publicist. So certain things I feel are just so easy to implement yourself. Like, for example, mm-hmm. going on a podcast tour, which, by the way, when we talk about lead generation, going on a podcast tour is one of the strongest lead generating tools there is because podcast listenership is up. You get long form interviews. It's a chance to build really deep connections and rapport with an audience. You're being vouched for by a podcast host to their guests. So it, it's a phenomenal tool. Mm-hmm. It is not hard to go on a podcast tour. Like there's nothing technically difficult about it. You got to create a few topics that you can speak on that would be important and interesting and salient to a target audience. And then you got to get someone, whether you're doing this yourself, which by the way, you can, or you hire a VA to do it for you at, I don't know, 15 an hour, whatever you want to, whatever your your pay rate is to find, let's just say 100 podcasts or 200 potential podcasts within the genre that you want to pitch to and send off a pitch. And a pitch is super simple. It's just, this is who is being pitched or this is who I am. This is what I do, which is one sentence, by the way. But most importantly, the most important thing in a pitch, this is what I want to do for you. That is the Ah. single most important sentence in the pitch that you're going to send. What I want to do for you is be a guest on your show to talk about, and you can list two or three topics. There you go. That's a pitch. You send off 100 of those, you'll land 10 to 20%. Right there, off, yeah, off right. just one blast of pitches. Uh, then you follow up with the other 80 to 90, and you'll probably land another 10 to 15 or 20%. Then you follow up again, you follow up again. 
And then you keep expanding upon the list. And all of a sudden, you like, I think we've done, we, I, maybe 20 podcasts this year passively pitching. Like, wow. I've been a guest on a lot of shows this year. It's, this is not complicated. I'm not going to be paying a publicist $3,500 a month to earn me something that my assistant can do for right. an hourly rate. Okay. Right. Now, when is it appropriate to hire a publicist? And I think it's important in full disclosure to look that up. When the publicist has pre-existing relationships with media outlets that are crucial in your marketing strategy, crucial for you to be a part of. If I were going into, let's just say, a, a new launch for a book, and someone had a connection at, I write business books. So, you know what? I'm actually, I'm planning to write a photography book. So let's just say someone has access to, there's a company called Kelby One, which is one of the biggest training companies for, for creative professionals. They do conferences, they do events, newsletters, magazines, etc. And someone had a connection over at that company. And they said, oh, I, I have a really good connection with one of the content creators or the editorial directors there. I'm almost positive I can get you a spot there. That would be a no-brainer for me. I would hire yeah. a publicist just for that because I can look at the ROI. Let's just say I spent $3,000 on a publicist. How many units of my program or my book am I going to sell because I was in front of 250,000 highly targeted audience members? That would be worth it to me. Okay. So it's really just kind of assessing that, that ROI. Yeah, right. And going into it with an ROI and concept, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's also what being clear about what your desires are, which comes down to your goals, right? And mm -hmm. then being able to circle back to that and say, oh, okay, this can get me there. That can get me there. This is different ways that you can get to the same spot. Some are a little more laborious than others, um, but that's okay, right? It's you need to pick what's right for you. What do you think, what does it take to get published? Like how do... So someone takes photos, okay? Mm -hmm. They don't have a you in their corner. What do they do with these photos to try to get them published by themselves? So one of the big misconceptions people think about when it comes to landing media features, and for this one, we'll focus on magazines, is that you need to be a celebrity. Out of all the work I've done in 20 years, less than 10% has ever been someone of a celebrity status. And that's cover profiles, which is arguably like, the, the pinnacle of so many goals that of my clientele. So less than 10%. When we're talking interior features, it's less than 1%. I mean, it's like 99.9% people who just had something of interest to share with that audience. So that means the majority of people getting fe featured are getting featured because of what their idea was for that feature. So I own three magazines. When, mm -hmm. when my editors are pitch content, the thing we look at the most is what is the idea of the content? My podcast, I get a pitch or two a day for people wanting to be a guest on my show. Only thing I look at, I don't look at who they are. I don't look at their bio because chances are I've not heard of them. And that's not because I'm a big shot or anything like that. It's just because why would I have heard of them? I'm not, I've never been introduced to them. You know, I don't have a, a giant network. So it doesn't matter to me what their bio is. What's the topic? And if the topic fits what I think would be beneficial in my audience because my job is a publisher. As a podcast host, I'm a publisher. 
with these magazines, I own, I'm a publisher. I have to create content that people are going to consume. And if I don't create content that people are going to consume, no one's going to buy my magazines. No one's going to download my podcast. No one's going to go to our digital network. And if no one buys our magazines or downloads my podcast, it goes to my digital network. I don't make advertising dollars. So it is important for me to put out content that I know my audience wants. So that's the number one thing I'm looking for. What's the idea? And if the idea works, I assume you can speak to it because you pitched the idea. Um, it's yeah. very rare. I, I can only think of two examples out of... I've done 500 episodes of my, my recent podcast, and there's only been two interviews I have not aired in 500 episodes. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, it's not... Not that every interview is great, to be clear, but only two were to a point where I was like, I don't want... This is going to do more harm than good yeah. for our audience. So it's the idea. Now, does clout or your network or the size of, of your following, does this matter when it comes to getting published? Not always. I used to say okay. no, but not always is my answer now. The bigger the feature, the more a media outlet is going to want to believe that you can help push the feature. Right. And the reason this has become a thing in the last few years is because of how difficult it has been as a print publisher and how tight budgets have gotten and how many print publications have gone out of business. Um, so the paradigm has shifted a little bit. Now, I can tell you, as someone who's uh, been a publisher, who's been a photographer, who's been a podcast host, Bigger guests do not always equal bigger audiences. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. I had guests that I thought were going to be home run hits and they got less downloads than someone who I essentially think no one's ever heard of before but had a great topic. So I have some, some hindsight on that. But that being said, I still need to create something that I consider commercially viable. So I don't want this to dismay People who are listening, they're like, well, I don't have a big audience. What do I have to bring to the table? Because here's the thing that I think is, is more important than the size of your audience. It's the, the depth of your relationships. I've shot so many major features for titles simply because that person developed a key relationship with the decision maker at that media outlet. They became mm. a resource, a valued asset. I've had people where they write one article that turns into two articles or three articles. All of a sudden, they're writing every issue. All of a sudden, they're contributing this way. And that magazine wants to give them something big as a thank you. Ultimately, yeah. this is about creating a mutually beneficial relationship. When you go to a magazine, you say, I would love to be published in your magazine. That doesn't mean shit to the magazine. Great. Right. Thanks. Uh, so would the other thousand people that just emailed us. But when you go to a publication, say, here's what I want to do for you. And here's why I think this would matter for your audience. Why this is important for your audience. Why I think your audience would, would eat this up. You're helping these editors and these publishers do their job. You're helping them create the content that they need to get in front of their, of their audience. So you are now of value. You have become an asset to them. And when you can do this over and over and over again, this is how you turn a small feature into a substantial relationship. And look at it this way. If people have to see your messaging on social media or if you're advertising, if they have to see your ads so many times before they engage with your content, if they see your social media content so many times before they're willing to enter your ecosystem, it would make sense. That would behoove you to be in a media outlet more than once 
to mm-hmm. to have a full deep connection with that media outlet's audience. You know, I've I've had relationships with publications going past ten years simply because we look at every time we finish a project with a media outlet, we are immediately in touch with them to find out what they need next. How can we serve oh, next? And the reason smart. we do that is, one, we've already proven we can do something for them. But two, we're now at the front of the line when it comes to being able to position ourselves to give them what they need next. Mm-hmm. And if you are not willing to, to have that level of connection with these editors, someone else will. And that's, yeah. that's what we talk about when we talk about relationships. These are, these are humans. Ultimately, like, you know, I don't want to put editors well, up on these untouchable pedestals, but treat them like humans. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like anything, right? Like the relationship matters so much. And once you get in that door and you know each other, then how much more can you help each other? And if you keep leaning into that instead of always looking for a new opportunity or new something else, it benefits both parties. But you have to be the one that's leading the conversation because they're so busy. I always look at everybody as like, okay, they're going to be 50,000 times busier than me. How do I make it easy for them? How do I make it easy for them? How do I make it where, oh, I'm going to call Jen because Jen delivers. Jen gets it done. Jen's going to help us out. And then that just builds your reputation. And then that helps everything go. And it kind of snowballs. I literally just signed on a new client within the last two months. And simply because I had been working on this relationship for years, by the way before we got to swing the bat and actually were given a, a project. And the reason we were given a project is the person who was doing the work didn't deliver. So someone else had been doing the work for several years as I was trying to get in. And all of a sudden, they did not deliver. And we were, it, it's like, you know, baseball analogies. are Sales stupid, class but, 101 though, right? Yeah. Like sales class number, you always want to be, if you can't be in first place, be happy to be in second yeah, and just stay hard second, hard yeah. second. So a number one makes a mistake, you can go and take yeah, care of the deal. Deck, yeah. So when we got the call, it's yeah. like, oh, can you do this? Yep. Yep. And I, you know, that we're over a dozen projects in now because That's amazing. Yes, we can do this and we will do this. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. Where do you see magazines going? What do you see the future for that industry? You own three of them. Yep. Yeah. There's, as I mentioned, there's been a lot of Consolidation. Yeah. And consolidation. It's, it, it's been a kind of a crazy landscape. You know, uh, assets are being sold and closed and, you know, they don't call it closing. They call it sunsetting. We've sunset the brand, which means we killed it. Others are being purchased and it's not pretty right now. So where is it going to go? Where it's going to go, print media is not dead, nor will it die, but it is mm-hmm. changing. What it's evolving into is smaller, hyper-specific niche outlets that are not going to publish 12 issues a year. I think, I think the idea of, of a monthly is past us, but are going to create very artistically and editorial-driven souvenirs. That would be an interesting way to think about print media. They are souvenirs. They are souvenirs that represent an idea. We do not, as consumers, buy magazine that go against our beliefs or go against our worldview. We buy magazines that reinforce our beliefs, that reinforce 
our worldviews. So having titles become a status symbol for us. I buy this magazine because what this magazine means to me. So magazines that are hyper-specific and focused have two important things. One, they got a built-in audience that they can clearly articulate and define. And number two, they got very clear focus on who their advertisers are going to be. And it's a benefit to the advertisers. If I'm advertising in a magazine, I need to know that this audience is the audience that I am trying to reach and not this you know, kind of homogenized or ubiquitous massive group that it's hard to distill down any data on them. So the more generic a magazine is, the harder they're going to struggle moving forward. The more specific a magazine is and niche a magazine is, the more people are going to gather around it, the right people. And so that's why we've seen such a wave of independent publishers rushing into the marketplace because it is now the cost to entry has dropped almost uh, almost to zero. Whereas hmm. there was a time where you had to have a massive amount of financial assets to create something and to print something and to deliver something. Well, a lot of that has been eradicated, which has allowed a lot of new, fresh, independent voices to enter into the marketplace with what they are trying to create and the audience they're going to try to build. So this is not mass marketing for the mass public. This is hyper niche marketing for hyper niche audiences. So that is where I believe we are going to see print media. Not It's already heading that way, but continue in that direction. Mm-hmm. Which does that make it harder then to get into things because there's less places to get your stories shared? There, I think there's going to be more places to get your stories okay. shared. They're just not going to be as big as, as you know, because okay. when we right. think about magazines, we think about National newsstand titles, you know, uh, you know, Iconic Time magazine or People magazine or It's Been Sunset, but Life magazine. That I don't believe is the future of what we're going to okay. see. We're going to see instead of a publication having, let's just say, a 250,000 person distribution list, a publication that has 25,000 or 50,000. But when I say loyal, I mean ride or die subscribers that cannot right. fathom not having this this book or this this publication be sent to them that's what i think is going to be more the future so it makes sense as a publishing company do i want one massive title that costs so much money cuz the printing and shipping alone is astronomical or do i want 5 or 6 or 10 smaller hyper specific with with already built in audiences that I can just turn profit on over and over and over again because I already know who the advertisers are going to be. And I don't have to, you know, I don't have to overly prove the market for these advertisers. It just makes sense. Yeah. No, I like that. I definitely see that. I mean, that's where everybody's going with branding nowadays too, which is why it's so important to have a personal brand of who you are, who you're trying to help, who you're serving, and then just connecting with those people because you don't need... 50,000 followers if you're hyper-specific. You need way less because you guys are all on the same path and pattern and things work together. I mean, we were running businesses before Instagram existed. So no, we do not need... And that's... So, you know, this just came up. It just made me think of it because you brought up number of followers. Um, 
Uh, last week, as of recording this, uh, the first state in the U.S. passed legislation to ban TikTok from all personal devices within their state. And their, you know, the, the legislation reads that TikTok itself or the, the parent company TikTok would be fined, I think it's like $10,000 per day per infraction. So if anyone in that state has TikTok on their device, TikTok would be sent, I guess, a bill for that. Now, you know, this is going to be fought in the courts for, you know, years. Whatever. Yeah. But this brings up something critically important, which is, you know, we spend all this time trying to build our Instagram audiences or Facebook. You know, I remember when Facebook fans were, were a thing and we were all trying to like, how big can I get my Facebook page? And now our Facebook page gets like one one hundredth percent of, of engagement. We don't own it. We never owned it. We will never own it. It's not like you can call Instagram and be like, hey, guess what? I crossed a 10,000 uh, follower threshold. So if I could just get like email addresses and phone numbers of these people, because I just want to like be in touch with them. First off, there's no one to contact Instagram for that. But you don't own it. They own it. You rent it. At best, you rent it. But they're mm-hmm. in complete control of the distribution of that list that you are renting. And that's why when we think about the process we want to take our audience through, we want to take them into whatever that next step is. So a list that you own or that you own more than you would on social media. So like, you know, TikTok theoretically could be taken from everyone overnight. And, you know, people who have built hundreds of thousands and some millions of followers on this platform and they could lose it overnight. And that could be devastating to a lot of right. entrepreneurs. And, and it feels like a giant waste of time and energy and, and, and emotional investment into these things. You have to get your audience to take that next step and get into a list you own. So whether it's an email list that you own, whether it's an SMS list that, that you're managing, or at least into another platform where you can serve content, like i.e. your podcast, or a YouTube channel, or something else where you have another touch point with them. Because at any point, it can go away. And that's something we need to be conscious of, especially right now, as, as, you know, especially with that platform, because things are so precarious in, in how, they're, how they're planning to deal with it. Yeah, no, it's definitely been, and the, all the things that I've been reading lately too, like don't rent your audience, own it, make sure you're doing these things. And it's been very eye-opening, I'd say. I'm like, oh yeah, that is true. Especially when everything can shut down or the Wi-Fi can go or what, I mean, it's just, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So let's say that I am listening to this podcast right now. Tell me your ideal client and how they would read out, how they would reach it out to you and how you would work with them. So I love working with anyone who is excited about earned media and the, the potential of leveraging earned media to either amplify their authority or to generate leads for their business. And if anyone is interested in connecting with me, I do all my communication. You can legitimately reach out to me directly on Instagram at jpatrickphoto or my website, jamespatrick.com. I don't make it confusing, nor do I do hard sales pushes. If, if I can offer information or value, I'm going to. And if I can offer you a resource, even if it's not through me, I'll do that as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And you have an event coming up in May. So let's talk about that because I think that's helpful for people. Get published live. Oh my goodness. It, we are, this is technically, it's year nine of this event concept, although we were under a different brand for the first eight years. So this is the first year we're doing it as Get Published Live. Maybe people have heard it called Fitposium, which was its first iteration for eight years. But as the world shifted over the last three years, the event evolved. 
and turned into this this new thing, which I love even more, which is I did not think was possible. And the focus is just we're going to teach you everything about how to leverage and and land media features. But in addition to attending, whether you attend virtually or in person, because we offer both, every attendee gets the chance to audition for hundreds of media opportunities that we offer attendees. So we create exclusive partnerships with magazines, with podcasts, with TV shows, with digital media outlets to offer our attendees exclusive features. So last year, 250 media features were booked that weekend. And every year we try to beat it. You know, the year before that, I think we're at 200. The year before that, I think we're at 150. So, uh, you know, every year we try to, I don't know, at some point we're not going to beat it. But we just want to give as many opportunities as we can to our attendees to not just learn how to do this, but to actually get it. And I think about the reason we did this is when I attend events, I, yes, I want to learn from speakers, but let's be honest, information, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. And at scale, information is free. You can learn anything on YouTube that you want to learn. So the reason I attend events are for opportunities, connections and opportunities. That's the real, I believe, value of an event. Well, let's just make that the event. You get opportunities by attending the event. So it's what I would want as an attendee, as an entrepreneur. I want media opportunities. So that's what we I would, I would freak out if I were an attendee of this event because I would just be like, how many media opportunities am I going to land just by attending? We've had people land, you know, their first year, they land a ton of them. And then, you know, their next year, they build upon that. And then we have some people who maybe they just get one small feature one year, but then the next year they show up and all of a sudden they're like the top booked person. It's, it's just amazing to see not only the opportunities, but then the attendees response to those opportunities because that's really cool because they get to yeah. be like, wow, this podcast or this magazine or this this network, they saw something in me and they want to give me a chance. And that's just so awesome to see. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And if you get a chance coming from me, fly to Arizona and do a photo session with this human here because it is so much fun. It's so confidence boosting. And I absolutely had the best time ever. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You were such a damn delight <laughs> to work with. That was, I, I look at like, we shot, we did, we work at work together. It seems like six hours or something like that. And I was just like, yeah. if one, it flew by, I was like, yes. I cannot believe the day is over. And then number two, the the variety of content we got, yes. we definitely approached it with broad brushstrokes. I love that. I mean, we were, we were shooting up on a mountain and then we were shooting fashion and then we were shooting commercial business. fitness, business. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, it was a ton of fun, ton of fun to work on that with you. Yeah, we got all of it. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Listeners, we'll have stuff in our show notes so you can reach out to him. I highly recommend him and have a great day.